Hey everybody, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. This is Matt. And this is Brad. We are the pastors of Inspire Church in Westfield, Indiana. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening around here, be sure to subscribe to our text updates by texting the keyword INSPIRE. That's N-S-P-I-R-E to 317-451-4111. We hope the following message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. We've been doing a series called Extremely Emotional, and what we've been talking about are uh, emojis, and we've been joking and kind of making light at the beginning of the message, but what we realize is our emotions have the ability to rule our lives if we're not careful. And uh, we've, we we've want to be very careful to say that like, there's nothing wrong with your emotions, you just don't want your life to be ruled by your emotions. And so we've been talking about that. So like week one, we talked about how uh, there's, there's some skill and there's art and there's even some, some wisdom in taking the time to think through the emotions you're feeling. Kind of like you do with your phone where you like analyze the list of all the emojis that are at your fingertips and you try to find the exact one that fits how you're feeling. There's actually wisdom in that process of, of thinking through how you're feeling. Uh, and there's people who are way smarter than me who talk about our emotional quotients and how it's a better predictor. Your EQ is a better predictor of your success than your IQ, which is good news for me. Uh, and there's a, so, this is a little side note, not in my notes, but somebody told me, they're like, I can't keep up if you, you pick on yourself if you're really good looking or if you're ugly. Like sometimes you're ugly, sometimes you're good looking. Sometimes you're brilliant, sometimes you're dumb. Because like, you make up your mind. Uh, when I pick on myself, I'm all over the place, people. Uh, and so uh, the, 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 there's, there's that, that driver inside of us that's really important for us to hone in on your emotions, right? Now, we've talked about individual emotions from there. Uh, last week, Brad even busted out a different emoji that had like a whole flood of emotions that come with it. And if you were here last week, uh, Brad had the poop emoji out, people. Uh, the poop emoji made an appearance here at Inspire Church. And what was funny about that to me was is um, you shared pictures of his slides on Facebook and it was hilarious to watch people like, what church do you go to? <laughs> uh, so anyways, yes, the poop emoji made an appearance here last week. But what Brad was talking about is like stuff happens in your life. And sometimes it's not always good. But learning how to sit in not the mess and sit in uh, the smell. But if you can deal with it and recognize where you're at. It has a, a, the ability to shape you and push you in a positive direction. If you choose not to deal with your emotions and deal with the crap, I'll say it, uh, you have a, it sticks with you, and it can negatively impact the trajectory and the, the direction of your life. And so that was the, the, if you weren't here, you saw that on Facebook. That's what that was about, uh, the, the poop emoji. Uh, so today, we're going to, uh, actually, let's say this. Brad last week talked about how the poop emoji in another part of the world, I think it was Japan, uh, the poop emoji doesn't mean poop like in bad. Uh, it actually is a symbol of good luck, uh, which is strange to me. Uh, like if I ever sent you a poop emoji, I wasn't wishing you good luck, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, I'll stop there. Um, the, and so it got me thinking, uh, what other emojis are like misunderstood? And Brad like shared with me like a whole list of emojis that like we use sometimes and they don't mean what we think they mean. Uh, and I came across this one emoji that looks like this. It's kind of this blue, oh yeah, yeah actually this guy, okay? Yeah, he's the steam, he's the steam face like now, if you were to see this thing, uh, 
What would you think of? Just shout it out. What do you think of? You don't see it? I see it. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Brad will get us fixed here. Uh, uh, it's, if you want to look at the back wall, you can. Uh, it's, a, it's an emoji that looks like, uh, it reminds me of like a bowl, right? With your blowing smoke out your nose, right? And uh, I've always seen this emoji and thought of it as being like a, a frustrated, there he is, a frustrated guy. Like, doesn't he look like he's upset? Yeah, like us Westerners, we're thinking that's upset, right? Now, I learned that the, there's like a, this is like where nerddom goes to a whole nother level, people. Uh, there's like a, there is a, uh, a group that takes care, it's called the, the Unicode group or whatever, and there, it's like a, they created the universal uh, code that is used for these emojis, and they have like a universal meaning, okay? Now, uh, Brad shakes his head like, of course, people. Like the rest of us, we don't know these things, right? And so these people create like the, the universal meanings for this, and so I was, I was learning this week, that actually is not a sign of frustration. That is a, a face of triumph, that's what I said. What is wrong with these people? Literally, it says this. The face with steam. This is on their like, official thing. Like, face with steam from nose was approved as part of the Unicode 6.0 in 2010 under the name face with a look of triumph and added to the emoji 1.0 in 2015. What? Does that look like triumph? I'm guessing it means because it takes determination maybe. Like it takes a little bit of grit to like be, you know, to, to triumph over stuff. Like I guess maybe it's a, a face of determination. Uh, to me, it looks like you just ate the last Oreo, <laughs> you know, like I'm not happy with you, you know. Or how about this guy? This is another one that I learned about, right? Uh, what do you see when you see this? Like, yeah, it's more of a sound, right? <gasps> it's kind of a, a, I don't know, surprise uh, now, we're not totally off on this one, but I thought the origins of this was very interesting. It's, it's kind of a look of fear. There's other emojis that, like, sometimes you think of, like, shock and all, like this guy here in the middle. Some people might see him down here on the, on the wall here. Some people might see him and think surprise or whatever. But I've seen people use that to, like, they're kind of, like, shocked or afraid or whatever uh, or frightened. That is the real face of fear, right there. And it's, it was inspired by a painter. Check this painting out. I mean, they nailed it, huh? It's a painting named The Scream by a Norwegian painter, Edwin Munch. However you say his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to read what's on the screen there with you. Uh, so that painting inspired that there uh, emoji. Now today we're going to be talking about fear because I think fear is one of the things that has a way of gripping us. You've heard me talk a lot about uh, overcoming things. I, I like to be a guy who wants to encourage and, and inspire you to kind of take a next step in this area of our lives. And, and to be quite honest with you, fear is something that we've all dealt with. Now there, it has ranging, it has ranging kind of uh, factors in our lives. Some of us, it's a debilitating thing. You just can't get over it. Others of us, we just, it's not a big deal, but if we think about it and we're honest with ourselves, we might have a little bit of fear that jumps up and shows itself into our lives. Uh, I recently heard Andy Stanley, who's a preacher in, in, uh, in, the, in the Atlanta area, who I love to listen to. He said that, that fear is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and project that knowledge 
into the future. Like, so we, we think about what we're, you know, what, where we're at. We have experiences, so we get these, the knowledge that comes from whatever that experience may be. Like, that dog is big. He's showing his teeth, and he bit me once. Next time I'm around that dog and I see his teeth, I might experience fear. Smart, right? Fear is not always bad. Sometimes fear is, is, a, is a good thing in our lives. Like, if you walk up to the edge of that cliff, if you were to fall over the side, that is bad news for everyone involved, right? But, so fear drives us from taking risks that are, that are uh, not wise. It keeps us from getting hurt. Uh, you see things that happen in society, and you're thinking that this is how I should respond. Fear. Uh, you, you know what fear can, how it can be a good thing, but it also can be something that can debilitate us, that can paralyze us. And sometimes it's not even rational, the fears that we have, where we can get ourselves caught up in something that uh, we're afraid of something that there's no reason to be afraid of a mouse, women. I'm just kidding. I know some of you men are like, wait a second now, I'm kind of scared of a mouse, right? You know, there's things like that. Like you could stomp on a mouse, uh, but they move so fast. Let's be real people. They move, they're freaky. No one wants one of those in their house, do they? Can I get an amen? Yeah, so you're like, maybe I shouldn't be afraid of it, but it's terrifying to me. Uh, and so we, there, that's, how, that's how this whole world works. Now, now I, what I have kind of witnessed in this world, and one of the things that I've experienced myself, is that fear, it is, it's something that we all have, and if you are somebody who's wrestled with this, and you're like, I've got to get over these fears, i got to move past this, you are in good company, because everybody in this room has experienced something that they're afraid of. It could, maybe there's something silly, and maybe there's something that's serious that you have afraid of. I have a very real fear, you've heard me maybe talk about this before, of like the whole drowning thing. I do not want to drown. That's not, a, that's not my cup of tea, you know? No one's like, sign me up for that, Matt. No, like that's a big fear. And I have this huge fear with my kids too. Like I've always had this fear that my kids, that you know, I keep an eye on them. And I remember the first time we went on vacation, I didn't even realize I had the fear yet um, until we were staying with some friends and they had a pool and my kids were so pumped up about the pool. And suddenly I'm laying in bed the first night there and it had never crossed my mind until I laid down. I had this thought, my little girl is so excited about swimming in that pool. I hope she doesn't wake up in the middle of the night. And go out there at those doors, and I would never hear her, and I couldn't sleep the whole night, right? Like, you have rational fears, too, right? There are things that are worth being scared of. There are things that are like, if you're wise, you should have a little bit of fear about that one issue, right? Uh, and so today I want to talk about this fear, and I want to show you something in Scripture that when I, when I uncovered this, and then I actually heard it taught one time, I was like, man, that's actually really profound. Uh, it, it was very encouraging to me. And it starts with the story of the disciples and Jesus. You see, Jesus, if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, Jesus had like a few guys that he recruited to be like his, his network of guys that were going to be close to him. And, and they, those guys have been traditionally called uh, the apostles. There's 12 of them. And then he had a larger group of people that were all his disciples that traveled with him. But there was a small group of 12 that were really close to him. Most of the writings and the, the accounts that we have of Jesus and his life here on earth in some way or another connect back to one of those apostles. 
uh, like the stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you today is given to us from a guy named Matthew. Matthew was one of the 12 who traveled with Jesus. And I said this a few weeks ago, but it makes sense that Matthew would have like written down accounts of Jesus' uh, experience or his experience with Jesus because he was a tax collector. He was probably wealthy and he had scribes that were like his employees. And so he probably didn't even necessarily have to write everything himself. He could just dictate it to these guys and you write down what I told you. Do it. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, and so uh, Matthew gives us this account. And he, actually, there's another account of some of the stories I'm going to tell you by a guy named Mark. It's believed that Mark got his stories from Peter. Uh, and it's believed that Mark learned and kind of uh, Peter shared a lot of the stuff with Mark. And it's actually believed, you may not know this, but it's actually believed that Peter may have been illiterate because he was just a fisherman and he may not have learned how to ride himself. And so Mark may have pinned it for him. Um, and uh, so, anyways, the stories I'm going to share with you are stories of real people. If you're not careful, sometimes you can read scripture and you think, oh, that's the Bible. But the reality is, like, I want you to hear what we're going to share with you today as, like, these are real people living in a real time, having real experiences, sharing their real accounts, writing them down. And we sometimes have, have attributed the scriptures to be something holy, 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 which they are, I believe they're inspired by God. I think, I'm not saying that they aren't. But there's a human level to this, too. It's a human experience that you'll find within the scriptures. And so Matthew, uh, he was one of the guys that was with Jesus and they were following him around. And he tells this one story. And we're just going to jump right in Matthew chapter 8, um, where Jesus is with his group. He's got his guys with him. And uh, it says this, Matthew 8, 23, it says this. Then he got into the boat with his disciples, talking, he is being Jesus. And suddenly a furious storm, it came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. You may have heard this story. Uh, the, the guys are with Jesus. They're there out on the boat. Now, it's, this, is, this is the Sea of Galilee, but it's really more of a lake. And it's a larger lake than like the Morse Reservoir. This is a big body of water, but it's not gigantic. It's not like they're out in the ocean, like, but it's big, big bodies of water. And storms would roll up over the mountains uh, on one side of the lake, and these storms would brew up, and sometimes the, the experienced sailors, they could see this stuff coming, they could repair, but it was, a, it was kind of a, a big deal when these things would happen. Now, these guys get in the boat with Jesus, and there they are, and uh, the storm kicks up, and I imagine in that moment a little bit of panic, maybe even a little bit of fear, because many guys have experienced this, and many of them have seen their boats sink. Uh, and so they have a little bit of panic going on, and there's Jesus and the boat, asleep. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, this right here is the indicator that shows you how serious the situation was, because most of the disciples were actually fishermen. So they have some experience with this. I don't know, like, I've trained my kids. I don't know if you were trained to this, but, like, you don't yell, we're going to drown unless it's really bad, Right? Like, we were at the, this Kentucky Kingdom yesterday, and my son screamed at an octave that I think may have been, like, I could hear it. I'm sure dogs could hear it. You know that one? It's in an extra high level. Uh, and I was like, dude, you can't be yelling like that, because, like, every lifeguard was, like, on high alert. Like, what's going on? Uh, or we were backing into the parking spot, and he did it to us again. Like, he screamed, and he was just excited. He was watching a show. Like, we don't use... We don't watch the iPads like unless I'm literally trying to distract them for long periods of time. So the car is the perfect time for this. 
Or like when I'm having meetings here at the building in the summer, you know. And so he's watching a show, and he did this high-pitched scream when I was backing into a parking spot. I thought I killed someone. I was like, dude, you can't be screaming like that. Like, you don't cry wolf, you know. Like, we all learned that lesson. So you know that these guys who are experienced fishermen... If they go running to Jesus, like if Peter, you know, fisherman, raised to be a fisherman, comes running to Jesus and says, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, you don't yell that out unless this is a very serious situation, which I love this because they yell this thing out and they're they're 100% serious. And I love this because Jesus doesn't seem to be panicked at all. One, he's asleep. Like, do you not understand the severity of the situation? Like, you don't sleep when we need your help. And this isn't like because you're the son of God, you don't sleep. This is like even if you're half human, wake up and help. You know, I have a younger sibling. I know, like, you get your butt in gear over here, Jesus. You know, bail some water, get a bucket. You know, like, if you just have, just wake up, do something, you know. Jesus isn't worried, he's asleep. I love this. They run over to him like, Jesus, 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 we're going to drown. And Matthew tells us they like give the whole speech. And then he says this, uh, Jesus gets up shortly after that. He's not even out of, he's not even up yet. And uh, Matthew tells us that then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Like he, he let them cry before he even jumped up. And then he gets up, takes care of it. Uh, he calms the winds and the waves. And uh, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, Mark tells us in, a, in his telling of the story that uh, they feared a great fear. Isn't that interesting? They were afraid of the storm. But then they saw Jesus stand up and say, Be still. Mark says, they feared a great fear. Isn't that interesting? It's like they were afraid of the storm. Now they have a little bit of a fear of Jesus in a sense. Now, I think sometimes the, uh, this kind of gets interesting because people will talk about fearing God. And, and I don't necessarily believe that what we ascribe to the idea of fearing God is what I think we're really asked to do. Because God is love. God loves us. Uh, but there's a, there's a sense of like fearing power is maybe a better word for it might be respecting it, right? Like, you respect the power of this man, uh, and you respect the authority that he has, even over the wind and the waves. And I think you're probably even glad that you're close, right? You're probably glad that you're like, hey, I'm in the boat with him, right? They feared a great fear. Now, uh, now, Matthew also uh, tells us a couple of other stories about these guys. So uh, he, he tells us that, you know, hey, what in the world are you doing fear? And like, um, don't be afraid of these, these things. Like, uh, Jesus is going to step in. He's going to take care of us. And so Jesus is always, like, uh, giving these guys field trips to help them learn. So, like, the boat trip where he calms the storms, like Exhibit A, right? Uh, there's another couple of stories that Matthew shares with us that I think are interesting. Uh, and, and Jesus, after he, he calms the storms, it's like he's like, hey, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Like, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Um, the, uh, when the, the furious storm comes up and the guys cry out and they say, Lord, save us, uh, and they have this great fear, right? Jesus replied to them, and I, I want to share this with you. 
Jesus replied to them in verse 26. He says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, I'm, I understand maybe sometimes I read the scriptures a little bit weird. But like part of me wants to hear that verse. And I'm like, well, Jesus, why you gotta, why you gotta criticize my faith? I'm just afraid. You know, like, I have faith, but I'm also afraid. I have faith. Why you got to go with the low blow with the you of little faith, Jesus? Like, can't you just say, like, have faith? You don't have to call me a wimp in the process, you know? Like, this is how Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Like, this is, this is the story that Matthew tells us. Now, there's some other stuff that happens, Right? Uh, a few weeks later, I would like to imagine, I don't know exactly the timeline because it doesn't really tell us, but in Matthew chapter 10, so we'll say two chapters later, uh, Jesus sends out his disciples, and as he's sending them out, uh, they've been with him, they've had a bunch of experiences where he's teaching them to do what he does, and he's going to send them out to go and, and be his disciples and teach his teachings and spread his, his good news, and, and uh, it's kind of his, you'll hear people talk about his yoke, like he's taught them a certain way, and so he's going to send these guys out, and take, they're going to take off and do uh, their teaching thing. And so he says, I'm going to send you out among the wolves, basically. Matthew 10, verse 16 through 20, if you want to follow along, you can. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Uh, and then he says, therefore, be shrewd as snakes. And as innocent as does, he says, be on your guard. And he gives them this whole warning about how, listen, you're going to go into this world and it's going to be, it's going to be maybe a fearful thing. Like not every experience in your world is going to, uh, to be easy. But you remember the boat thing, like you don't have anything to be afraid of, right? You don't have anything to be really, really concerned about. And in Matthew 10, verse 28, he says this, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Remember, or rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And again, like this idea of like being afraid of God is not necessarily what I think God is saying, but respect God. God is more powerful than any of these other things that, that can take in. So he's like giving these, these teachings, right? You've heard these teachings, right? Like you've heard them, like, oh, of course. You've probably even tried to use these with your children, right? Like, oh, don't be afraid. I have, I've, you've heard me talk about how like I'm trying to parent my son to be less fearful. You know, like I'm trying to use these stories. I'm like, hey, Jesus, he calms the storms. You don't need to be afraid. But then when it's my own life, it's more difficult. He keeps like teaching these guys, like, I am going to send you out among the, don't be afraid of the things, that can, the people who can hurt you physically. Be afraid of God, you know, honor God, respect God. He's like trying to teach them a proper perspective of where they're at in the world and where God is and how God's going to respond in their life. Like fear can rule your life, but don't worry, God will be there with you. And I was like, he keeps trying to share these teachings, right? And then he ends this whole like pep talk with the fellas about how they're going to go out and be uh, among the wolves, and he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet you, or yet not one of them fall to the ground outside of our Father's care. And even the very hairs on your heads are numbered. So do not be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Doesn't that sound great? Sounds very inspiring, like, oh, God knows how little hair I have. <laughs> he knows where they went, actually. <laughs> you know? Like, it just sounds like, put that on a Hallmark card, right? Like, oh, that just sounds so great. But then when you really are in the middle of something, you don't, I don't remember the, what do you say about the hairs? I'm scared. You know? God's continually trying to teach these guys. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Do not be afraid of. Now, 
Again, Matthew's like trying to chronicle all this stuff. And I think there's a reason why all these things are shared. Matthew has an agenda. But one of the things that I love about this is like he goes and he teaches them this stuff. He's got them all out doing their, like the disciples all go through their teaching. They come back and they're back with Jesus. And there's this huge crowd that gathers around. And there's this big thing that happens within the story or the narrative of Jesus' ministry where Jesus has the disciples uh, present and they take some bread and some fish, and they feed 5,000 people, okay? Now, remember, these guys just left Jesus and were doing some teaching. They're doing what Jesus tells them to do, and they're trying to, you know, model what Jesus is teaching. Then they come back, they're with Jesus, and 5,000 people are fed, and I kind of imagine the disciples are feeling like rock stars right now. Like, they're like, look at all the people have come, look what we just did, this is really cool, this is super exciting. We are like on top of the world. We're going to text in t-shirts and we'll send the t-shirts out to people. Get your Jesus shirt, you know. Like we're getting big, you know. Maybe we should get a merch table, you know. Like we'll just travel. Like this is going to be awesome. Like I can just imagine him, uh, all these disciples feeling pretty good about themselves. Like look at all the people coming. Yeah, I'm with him, you know. They're posting selfies with Jesus. You know, I'm with him. Uh, all sorts of stuff. Like this, I, they didn't do that, by the way. If you are not aware, they did not have Twitter then. <laughs> there are children in the room, okay? I, uh, I recently had a kid, my, one of my kids didn't realize that the internet didn't exist when I was born. I had to explain that to them. Like, Twitter doesn't go back to the Bible, okay? Um, so anyways, the, you know, so the, I imagine these guys are all pumped up. Now, check this out. You may have missed this before, because I did. Uh, when the feeding of the 5,000 stuff ends in Matthew chapter 14, the very next thing Matthew tells us happens is in verse, four, or verse 22 of chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Look at the first word that I have underlined there. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, I read that, and I'm like, wait a second. Is there a reason for this? I think there is. First of all, their head's getting a little big. They're getting a little pumped up. They think they got everything figured out. Look at us. We're the disciples. We're the apostles. We're in. We're getting to be pretty important. We've got it figured out. We're to the point where we're getting to teach people. I carried a basket. The fed 5,000 people. I was a part of that. I'm a big deal. And then Jesus says, okay, now that we just accomplished that thing, does it say Jesus invited the, the disciples into the boat? It says he made them get into the boat. All right, boys, time to get in. Uh, now, I'm smart. I think I would have picked up on this just a little bit. Like, wait a second. Last time we got into a boat, there was a storm. We almost drown. When Jesus is involved with the boat situation, I'm not sure I want to be involved. Like, I know he stopped the storm. It was, everything was okay. But I, there's a reason I'm bald. Freaked me out. I don't know if I need to be doing that again, right? I imagine that whole situation comes up. The crowds are getting pumped up. I mean, I, maybe there's a chant going on, Jesus. I don't know. I don't know how it's going. But they're all pumped up. And Jesus is like, listen, it's time to get in the boat. Get in. Peter, seriously. Boat. Now. Matthew says that Jesus made them get in the boat. But Jesus, I don't want to go. Get in the boat. I'm going to go. And he sends them away, and Jesus dismisses the crowd. 
right? And they get into the boat. They go ahead of them to the other side while Jesus dismisses the crowd. He makes them get in the boat. I'm sure they didn't want to go. And there they are rowing in the boat against the wind, it actually says. There's a song about that. Rowing against the wind, against the wind. Anyways, I'll stop. Matthew 14, 25 says this. Shortly before dawn, a storm starts. Or, you know, they, they're, they're trying to get a, it's not necessarily a storm, but the wind, and they're just having a hard time getting where they're trying to go, right? And uh, I don't know exactly what this is, but I can tell you this much. If I've been rowing all night, I'm not in a good mood. They've been rowing. Doesn't seem like they're getting where they need to go. And they're frustrated. And they're, I can imagine that there's that one guy who wants to like take a nap. You know, I've been on a road trip recently. So I know what that, like, that whole thing looks like, right? One guy's not pulling his weight. One guy's not paying attention. This guy's off beat. Like, come on, guys, you got to get in this. And the wind is a problem. And then you're fighting about what exit you're going to get off and get food. Oh, no, that was me. <laughs> uh, you know, you've been there. This whole trip's getting really frustrating, right? And Matthew 14, uh, 14, 25 says, shortly before dawn, so they've been at this for a while, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake like you do. <laughs> now, here's something that's interesting. And I know some people will hear these stories and they'll think, okay, now you're going to ask me, Matt, and you know, this is 2019, you're going to ask me to believe that Jesus walked on water I know that seems like a bit of a stretch, and I'm just not sure I want to go there. Now, here's something I want to share with you. Uh, there is, uh, in literary kind of terms, there's this, uh, there's this way that like, people will, will assess the probabilities of, of scriptures, and they'll, they'll assess like, the credibility of scripture. And they'll, they'll take different accounts, and they'll try to like, figure out what, how they, you know, what, what's true, what's not true, and all sorts of stuff. One thing that I think is really interesting is what's called the criteria of embarrassment. And uh, people who will critique literature will use this criteria. And basically, they'll say, it's like, people generally don't write things that embarrass themselves. They just don't do that. Look at Facebook, case in point. We try really hard, and when we do it, we have to make sure everybody knows we're making a point. You know, I don't usually post things like this. I only post the good things. But right now, I'm just going to tell you, I want to share with you how big of a train wreck my family is. Like, we have to make a point to show everybody that right now I'm showing you just a glimpse of the realness of me. Tomorrow, I'll get back to the butterflies and daisies, right? People generally don't post things or share things that will embarrass themselves um, and so, or write things that will get shared. And so uh, these guys, you know, it's believed that these guys are writing this stuff. And one of the things that gives it credibility is the fact that it, what they're sharing is really embarrassing to the people who it's about, like, I kind of imagine Mark when he's, he's writing for, for, Matthew, or, uh, for uh, Peter. Peter, are you sure you want me to write that? It's going to make you look a little soft. He's like, yes, it's what happened. Right? So, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, say it with me, terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. Like, they freak out immediately. Here comes Jesus walking across the water. This is not something they're super excited about. Uh, now, uh, but immediately Jesus said to them, Take courage, it is I, 
Do not be afraid. Like, do you not remember the last field trip you went on? Don't freak out. I'm, it's just me. Don't be afraid. Like, every time you get kind of caught up in this stuff, like, you keep, don't, get, don't be afraid. He keeps giving him all these different excuses or examples and opportunities to overcome fear, and still they find themselves afraid. They keep failing, right? Now, the, the story is, this is an interesting one. I don't have time to go all into it because we, we're already over time, really. But the, the story has Peter asking Jesus, Jesus, if it's really you, ask me to come out onto the water. And Peter walks a couple steps on the water, and then he gets baptized. Um, he falls into the water, and Jesus saves him. He gets up out of the water. And I imagine uh, this was a big moment for the disciples. They're like, whoa, he not only can command the elements, but he can actually walk on them. He has power over them. You would think that would be a good moment to like, okay, we're not going to be afraid next time we get into a boat, right? You'd think they were starting to get this stuff. Now, uh, Matthew continues on with the story. He says they go to Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus gives them this new law. He says, love your neighbor. He gives them a new commandment. Uh, he, he's like laying out his whole new movement. He's laying all this stuff out. Everything seems to be going perfectly. And then Jesus is crucified. In the crucifixion, you see the disciples, they scatter, right? You've heard the stories of Peter, who had walked on water following Jesus, or at least a couple of steps. Maybe he strolled for, I don't know what you would call a couple steps. I remember when my kids were first starting to walk, we called that walking. So we'll give Peter some credit there, right? So they've gone through all this stuff, right? Jesus has given them lots of opportunities to overcome their fear. When Jesus gets arrested, the disciples scatter, Jesus gets arrested, they're still fearful. Peter asked, hey, are you with him? No. Middle school girl can intimidate Jesus or intimidate Peter to deny Jesus. Like, they still are wrestling with fear. Does this sound like you at all? Like, you have that fear in your world. You have that thing that keeps kind of showing its face. You keep saying, I'm going to be brave and courageous. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to be afraid of this. And then as soon as it happens, like, I'm done. Can't handle it. I'm terrified. Right? Like you tell yourself, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to move forward. This isn't going to control me anymore. Like, I'm not, like, when you talk about being extremely emotional, I'm not going to be so extremely emotional with my fear that it's not going to control me. I'm going to overcome this. But every time it shows its face, you find yourself crippled, paralyzed, stuck, or you just can't get past that fear. If that is you, you are in good company. These guys were with Jesus. On the earth, walking on water, calming storms, healing people, feeding 5,000. These guys had seen it all with him every step of the way. And as soon as Jesus is arrested, you'd think, like, this is your moment, guys. Like, spring into action. If you're taking him, you're taking me. You know, that sort of stuff. Like, all sorts of moments of courage, maybe. But no, they still are fearful. I find this amazing because these guys are stuck in their fear until the resurrection. They were stuck in their fear until they see an empty tomb and they encounter their friend risen from the grave. That was the thing that gave them the strength to overcome their fear. It was the resurrection, not the teachings, 
The teachings were great. They were really inspiring, but they didn't really change their lives. The thing that changed the whole story for this group of believers was seeing Jesus go to the grave and come out the other side and stand there. Even one of the disciples wasn't even sure he believed it, and then he stuck his fingers in the holes, Thomas. He's like, I won't believe it until I see it. I'm still, no. Uh. And they, they saw the risen Christ, and suddenly bravery was their thing. They were not afraid. See how I use that emoji there? Huh? Triumph. Right? That's the thing that brought them through was the resurrection. You see, they faced down uh, after Jesus' resurrection. They were not afraid. They faced down, literally stood before the people who crucified Jesus and basically called him out. Said, you arrested him. You crucified him. You buried him. He resurrected, and we stand here witnesses. Could you imagine the bravery it takes to do that? What happened to him can happen to you. I don't care. I saw it. Wait, wait. We need you to deny this thing happened or you're done. That's fine. Tons of people were martyred because they refused to recant testimony of the resurrection. It was the resurrection that, was, that brought people past their fear. See, uh, now there's this guy... Um, around the time uh, when Christians, the movement was on the rise, early, early, early Christianity, uh, people weren't super excited about this. And, and some of the people were like handing over the Christians and wanting them to be persecuted and, and killed. And actually, Paul, who was one of the guys who ends up becoming an early church movement leader, he was one of the first guys, like, what's got to round them up? We've got to pull this group together. I don't care what they said they saw. They're, they're, they're messed up. We've got to get this thing off the streets, right? And so they start rounding up all these people. And uh, one of the things that would happen was in the, uh, in, the Roman, uh, in the Roman world, they would gather the Christians up and they'd put them in the Colosseum and they'd use them as the entertainment and let the animals tear them apart and watch them run in fear and watch them fight and, you know, all these different things. And uh, at that time, it was actually illegal for people to touch or examine a dead body. And so, like, for people who were trying to advance the medical world, the only thing, the best they could do is examine bodies as they were dying. So they, like, they couldn't, like, if once the body was dead, you couldn't touch it anymore. So they would, like, go out, and after they'd got the animals out of there and all this stuff, there'd be dead, people dying there on the ground, and these people would come out and try to examine the bodies to see what they could learn about the heart or the lungs and just try to figure out how the body worked. This is part of the reason also why, like, our medical system was so slow in developing for a long period of time because that was a law. Um, it wasn't like you could do an autopsy. And one of the guys who, was, uh, who did this sort of work, his name was Claudius Galenius. Uh, he says this about a group of Christians that he examined. He says, for fearlessness of death in the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. Like these Christians, I don't know what got into them, but they're fearless. Like they stand in the face of death fearless. And I, it's not just like one of them. Like I, I examine, the, they're all the same. They go into this thing and they just, they, have, they are fearless. You see, fear is a part of the human experience. But none of us 
want to be driven by fear, do we? None of us want that to be the driver of our lives. You know, Peter, who experienced so much with Jesus, he was persecuted greatly. Eventually, he was executed by Nero. Um, he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I imagine Peter would like agree with like uh, some of the other texts where he says, you know, you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but fear will not drive me. It will not drive me to be negatively, extremely emotional. Or uh, another one that, you know, Jesus says, fear not. You know, one of my favorite verses growing up as a kid, we, we had this... Uh, we had this song that we sang, it had alpha, the alphabet, you know, A, and there was a scripture verse assigned to each one. And so as a kid, I remember it was A, all have sinned and fall short of their God. B, believe ye the Lord. Fear not was the F. Memorize that one as a kid. Jesus invites us to fear not. And even sometimes there are things to be afraid of. But when we stand beside Jesus and we place our faith in him, we can take our fear to him and we can fear not. Not because it's not something worth being afraid of, but because we know that God is with us and that he cares for us. He takes care of our needs. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. You're more precious than a sparrow. Yeah, the storm comes up. You know, you may be terrified, but... Jesus says, I am with you, and I care for you. So fear not. Today, as I wrap this thing up, you may know what this is like. You may be living in a sense of fear. And as I said earlier, you're in good company. You, you, you're not unique. Many of us have things that we're afraid of. Many of us have things that we struggle with. But what we see in the disciples is when they see the risen Lord, they become fearless. So if nothing else, when we, fan, when we stand face to face with fear, may we be reminded of the resurrection of Jesus. What can make you fearless is knowing that there's hope on the other side. You may take my life, but I have hope because Jesus says he cares for me. And God is with me. Can I pray for us? Lord, we thank you for this truth. Lord, I, it's, it's like a confession we need to make that sometimes we are fearful and we need to be reminded of your presence and your love for us, but also, Lord, may we be reminded of your resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us all a sense of hope. And so, Lord, today, uh, you know our stories, you know where we're at. And Lord, for those of us in this space today who are, who are wrestling with or struggling with a sense of fear, maybe we're extremely emotional in a negative way, Lord, may you remind us. May it be through like the elements, the bread and the, and the juice, or maybe it's a song, maybe it's a smile, a handshake, or a prayer. May you remind us of your resurrection and your power and your grace and your love that you have for us. Lord, you've given us each other to support each other. And Lord, may we lean into each other in this community. 
And may we also lean into you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Westfield area, we'd love to see you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions and more information about our services and family ministries, check out our Facebook page or visit us online at www.inspire.church.